your Bible, this is Second Chronicles, uh, the story of King Asa. We're definitely going to spend a little time in that lore today. We're also, though, going to start with Psalm 119, the first couple of verses, and that's easily found just on the front of your bulletin. Um, you can look in your Bible by all means, uh, but it's right there on the front of your bulletin. And the reason we're going to start there is a couple, a couple reasons. Uh, one is I want to remind you of what we talked about, I think it was either last week or two weeks ago, the distinctions in prayer. There was a really good question that was asked. We sing Psalm 1 as our prayer of the church during October and November here at St. Paul. We've done it for several years. Uh, it was put together by a musician, you know, Caleb Stair, and then Titus, uh, they worked on it, and it's a beautiful piece. We'll sing it today. Well, someone asked, well, this prayer is prayer of the church. It doesn't ask for anything. It just says, blessed is this man who's like this because of these reasons. So how is that a prayer was the question. And it's a good question, but it's also a question that betrays an, an ignorance or maybe an anemic understanding of prayer. So that for most Americans, prayer means to ask for something from God, right? That's just what we mean when we say, I'm going to pray. It means I'm going to try to get something. <laughs> but prayer is wider than that. It's not that prayer doesn't involve asking God for stuff. That's called a petition, right? It's a type of a prayer. But there are other types of prayers, and one of them is called a blessing. And a blessing doesn't ask for anything. It just declares that these things are. And that's what Psalm 119 does. It's a blessing about the word of God in someone's life. And by reading it out loud, it's fulfilled in your doing it. Like it is what it is when it is. So the moment you say, blessed are the undefiled in the way, you're a Christian? Well, then it's about you. And it's a prayer before God about the future of you as kind of a gratitude thing, actually. And that gratitude is the blessing of faith that trusts that you are undefiled in the way because of Jesus' blood. Now, you can come to this right away. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Well, that's not me. I'm a sinner. Well, that's not me. I made mistakes this week. Well, that's not me. I've tried and tried, and everyone keeps telling me I don't do it right. Yeah, but see, that's not what this is about. This is about Jesus. And really, you know, the blessed is the man who is undefiled. That's Jesus, right? He is the one without sin. His resurrection means that that same reality is now given away for free to you by faith alone. You don't get to walk on water. You just get to believe that you are undefiled in the way of Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to believe in him. It gets more complex and wise, if you will. But it stays that simple. It stays that simple. You are undefiled in God's sight because of Jesus Christ. That's the way it's going to be. It's the way to walk. It's the way to think. It's the way to believe. It's the way to hope. It's the way of everything. It's the way of the truth and the life, as it were. Yes. Blessed are the undefiled in the way, the saints who went before us and died in the faith then. Yes. All those names we remember today on all holies. Huh? Uh, blessed are then, though, you too. Here it is you. This is you who are undefiled in Christ who walk in the law, Torah, of the Lord. This doesn't mean that you keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. It means that you love the Ten Commandments. That you would rather keep the Ten Commandments than break them, generally speaking. Like, that's how you feel about it. <laughs> you know? like, if I get the choice today, good or evil, good, yeah, that's me, I'm going to try, right? As opposed to those who are like, well, what I want is what I want. I'm going to get what I'm going to get. 
That's good. Good's what I think. Uh, you know, that, that person's not undefiled in the way. They're not walking in the law of Jesus for sure. You have to keep his testimonies. Now, that's the next line. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Don't hear that as. He said jump, you said how high, and we measured to see who kept it highest, right? Who gets the winner mark for keeps it more. It's not about how many actions you produce. It's about the words just don't get away from you. When someone comes along and says, God didn't say that, you go, <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. And you don't have to say it to them. You just have to know it. You're going to keep his words. The whole world says, Jesus isn't God. You're like, yeah, I'm going to keep his word. Jesus is God. That's, that's all it means. It isn't something you cannot perform. You don't have to perform it. It's in many ways just the experience of receiving. Blessed are you, for these words are being kept in you like treasure in jars of clay. Yeah? So that you will seek him with the whole heart. And I know, we can do the Lutheran thing. You can find 5% of your heart at least that never seeks God. I know, you can do it. You can be like, oh, I know this is part of me. It's called the old man. Animal flesh, it never seeks God. So therefore, I can't seek God with the whole heart. And you know what? When we talk like that, people stop trying. So I think it's wrong to say that. I think you can seek God with the whole heart. I don't think he's measuring that way, like the way you think, like, like he's got like a measuring stick and you only got 98% of your heart in this thing, you know? He's not into the metric system. He isn't. He's not into details like that. Yeah? He's more about the soul, which is one thing or another. You're a good tree, you're a bad tree. Good fruit, bad fruit. What's good fruit? You would like to keep God's word. That's good fruit. Bad fruit, you don't want to keep it. It's, it's not that hard, right? And it's not about perfection. It is. It is about the word, though, being present in your life, right? So if there is no Bible, if there is no word of God anywhere in your life, that week you didn't keep it very close, right? You got back to church, so it's there in your life still, right? But how far away does it get? And this isn't a game to play in fear, like, oh, no, maybe I almost fell away this week. No, it's more like, you know, this week, how you got frustrated and were anxious and a little despairing at times? Like, you don't have to. You really don't have to. But you will have to change what you think about. You can't just keep thinking about what they sell you. You have to think about what God gives you. Again, seek him. Yeah. Uh, Jesus will talk about that with the eye here in a moment. But then uh, they also, the blessed and undefiled, do no iniquity. Iniquity is a, a type of sin. Sin is different in the Old Testament. They're different kinds of things. And, and frankly, the word sin itself is like the most petty of them. Sin is more like a mistake as a word, right? Uh, bigger words include things like iniquity, right? Uh, or trespass, right? Other things like that. They're all pointing at the same innate corruption that we mean when we say original sin, yeah? But here, you know, doing no iniquity doesn't mean I don't have original sin or the concupiscent results of it, which is that I tend to make mistakes and do evil things on accident. I don't even mean to, and then I'm mad that they helped me do it, right? I always blame someone else for what I did. Right? That's who we are. But then as Christians, that's not who we want to be. When it says that the blessed man does no iniquity, and you're praying this out loud. Blessed is the man who does no iniquity. Now, if you can't imagine, you are asking for something. But it's better than asking. You're actually prophesying that God has promised you that's how it's going to be for you. You're calling that to mind again and saying, I will walk in this truth, even if I don't feel it today or this moment. So again, you seek no iniquity. You're not here at church today so you can become a worse person. 
It's not why you came, right? Uh, you walk in his ways. You're seeking Jesus. You've commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. And then the prayer, here's a, here's a request. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed. Dear Jesus, let me ponder your word in such a way that the shame which I have carried may in fact diminish and disappear from my heart. I don't think that's impossible. And I don't think you have to believe in miracles to believe the word of God can do that to you over time. He is the good physician, the doctor who heals. He doesn't heal your body necessarily. Sometimes he does. But he does heal your soul. Come to me, ye who are weary. So flipping that bulletin, just to Jesus' words here on uh, the next page. You can look up Luke 11, verses 24 if you want. It's on page 870 of the Pew Bible. But again, now here in the bulletin, we're in New King James. In the Pew, you'll have the ESV. Um, I'm just going to cover the highlights here. The earlier sermon, if you want a deep dive on this, uh, sp815.org, the first service sermon, is just about Luke. So everything I've said so far, they didn't get that, right? Uh, they get a deeper dive on Luke. You can go dig that up if you want, but I'm going to give you the footnotes here, or the cliff notes here, right? Which, first, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he wanders around, he finds some more like himself, and he goes back, inhabits the man, and the state of that man is worse. Jesus is in a discussion about demons and the state of humans. And he's making it clear that he can come along and tidy things up, but just cleaning the outside isn't really sufficient. There has to be a change. I mean, if I come into your house and I clean it for you, I do the best job I can possibly do. I bring every single elbow grease trick in the books, the gutters. I get them for you, right? You're done, right? Never have to clean again, right? House is swept. Once is all you need, right? It's not how it works. It's not how anything works except magic, which doesn't really work. It kills. So it doesn't work that way. So also your soul. You don't just bow the knee to Jesus, confess his name once, walk away, and it's just freebies. Uh, the soul needs to be cleaned with regularity by Jesus. Otherwise, what happens is you start shaming yourself. I really mean it. Like, I'm not shaming you now. What happens is when you don't have enough word of God in your life, you just start shaming yourself. And then you won't believe a good thing when it is said about you. Someone says a compliment, you're like, oh, no, oh, no. Because right? you're just so busy shaming yourself. Jesus doesn't shame you. Jesus will confront you. He'll call it what it is. But it's never so that you'll feel shame and go away. It's always so that he can just clean it. You ever get a sliver and have your mother grab at it? No, no, no. It's not going to get better if we don't get it out. That's, that's how it is with the church, with Christ. Huh? And so when he comes to you and he purifies you by sending away the lies of the devil with his truth, which is what casting out a demon is, it's, it's ending the lies, right? You don't have to have a demon living inside of you or hanging out on your roof to have the lies of the devil winning the war in your heart every day. You just have to flip on the TV, open a newspaper, watch a movie, read a comic book, scroll on Twitter, or do anything else, and you got all the lies of the whole world filling up your ears and eyes endlessly with not a whit of the Word of God coming usually on its own, right? Like you have to go find the Word of God and like put it somewhere so you'll find it again. That's exactly what he's talking about. Don't expect the world to feed you a healthy soul not going to. It's going to say, we got shiny stuff. It tastes good. 
The kids need that. Give it to them. Then they'll come to church. That's the world. Uh, So Jesus, again, says, I'm going to clean you, but it's going to be real cleaning. And then this gets to what he says at the end that I want to focus on about the eye. So go down to verse 34. The lamp of the body is the eye. So he's, he's making a parable here about the eye and about a lamp. In the previous sentence, he talks about lamps. You don't need to tell people about lamps, but I can here, right? We have several here. What do you do? They make light. Where do you put them? On the ground? I do like shining light up on the side of a house from the ground. That's a nice look. Like, I'm all for it. But you don't do that, right? You don't get a new light bulb, find a way to make it bright, and then put it in the corner behind a chair, usually. You put it up above, where it's going to shine down and give light to everything. Jesus says your eye is just like that. Your eyeball is just like that. And in fact, it's put up high so you can have light. Only for this parable to be understood, I think it's very obvious, but you have to do a little bit of work. You have to invert everything because the eye is not going to send light the way a lamp would. The eye is going to receive light to send it into the body. So the eye is the lamp of the body, not out, but in. Which means whatever light is shining into your eye, your ears included too, right? It is filling your body with something, Jesus says. Let's keep going. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. When your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You can take this in two ways, and I think they're both completely true. One is, you know, you are what you eat. If you pick up a magazine and look at pictures of other people's houses all the time, you will be disappointed with your house. That's it, it's that simple, it's that easy. Like, Like the more pictures of what you don't have you look at, the more disappointed with what you have you will be. It's not rocket science at all, right? Uh, But what goes in is what matters. So there's that side of it, but then here's the other side of it, right? I'm gonna go back to the the line again because I think you can go even deeper. Uh, if, when your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Well, guess what? Uh, when you're a Christian and your eye is being filled with the word of God, so your whole body is full of light, now any darkness that shines in from the world, you, in fact, can see right through it. You have nothing to fear from it. You will impact it so that everything you see is, in fact, light, and you can even believe that the tragedies you come into are the light of God working itself out in your life for the good, that there is no darkness in him. Light and dark are both alike to him. Psalm 139. So here he is, he is pushing us to really believe it matters what we look at, it matters what we listen to, it matters what we receive. Uh-huh. Uh, and he is pushing us to believe that when we receive the word of God, the darkness cannot touch us. The story of King Asa is a good example of this, I guess. You know, all saints remembering those who've gone before. Remembering the Old Testament saints is such a valuable thing to do. It's hard to fit it into the life of the church. But I have found discovering the era of the kings to be the thing I have just most adored outside of Solomon's Hebrew in the last several years as a preacher and a pastor. And part of me wonders if, if we hadn't, if these kinds of stories hadn't been more common in my young man's age, say between age six and 15, if I wouldn't have had just a little more interest in church than I did. Because they're just, they're, they're really good stories. You have to slow down enough to see what's there, though. It's not fed on a platter, 
the way that a movie is, right? So a movie just makes you feel it. You don't even have to try. You, have to, you know, there's, there's a picture and there's a sound and they go together and you feel. You don't even have to, you can be like, I didn't want to feel that. Too bad, you felt it, right? On the page, a little different, right? You have to go in and you have to stay there and work and maybe pull it apart or you're going to it to get it over with. And that's what a lot of people do with Bible reading because they're guilting themselves about how much they do and they're trying to keep a plan and it's all about how good I can become. And so you tend to like press through the reading and get it done because I just got I didn't do it for three days. If I don't do it now, I got to catch up and then otherwise, right? And what happens is then you, you can't take the time to just kind of be inspired by it. I mean, if you read a fiction book at night before you go to bed, are you in a hurry to finish it? And so if you're in a hurry to finish the Bible, don't worry, it's a habit. We all have these habits. They're built into us by the world around us right now. But let's break those habits, right? And consider that a story like this is worth chewing, chewing on, uh, coming back to more than once. Uh, that Bible story book's coming for Christmas. Excited about that, uh, those who, who know. So let's, let's go to uh, Asa's reign in Judah, 368 in your pew Bible. So now I've got the ESV uh, that I'm working with if you're working with New King James. And we heard this read from the New King James earlier. It mentions the former king, Abijah, who slept with his fathers. You know, if I were really gonna to go deep on all this for you, I'd figure out who was the king of you know, uh, uh, Babylon at this time or whatever, Egypt, who's in charge and all this. The history is there. If you're a history buff, you like military history, you can find out about what was going on in the world during Asa's reign. And you can connect it to real things. This is what's beautiful about our religion. It's not just a story. Right, Luke Skywalker is, he's not real. <laughs> you know, uh, Asa is. Asa is, was, is. Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for 10 years. Um, it's in the book of Kings that we're told that Asa, um, he, he begins a bunch of reforms. Abijah, the king before, is a little bit strange. He's kind of good and bad. He's bad, mostly, but he has this one moment of real strength or he confesses Christ, confesses Yahweh. Um, but things are falling apart pretty quickly after Solomon and Rehoboam to the level where I believe it's Rehoboam's wife, might have been his daughter or son-in-law, daughter-in-law. Right in there though, she's effectively running the country as Asa comes into power, right? So you have this young king following the death of his middle-aged king father, but king father's been a little more like the prince of England, you know? Um, and, and mom isn't dead. She's still there. She doesn't have any actual authority, but in terms of religion in the country, she's running it, right? Think Jezebel, early version, right? And Asa comes into the, he's born into this house. This is his grandma. He removes her from power. He takes away everything she was doing. He tears it all down. It, it talks about, he doesn't mention her here, but she's in the Kings. Uh, Asa did was good and right. Verse two, in the eyes of Jesus, his God, he took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek Jesus, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. Uh, he took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. Oh, man, there's just so much glory there. All the list of the different bad things, the Asherim and the poles, 
That's also fun lore. I mean, if, if you've ever gotten into like baseball stats or, you know, what Mordor is, <laughs> learning about Asherim and these various types of Old Testament pagan worship, it might just blow your mind. Uh, because what happens is you start to look at what they did as they worship their gods is you start driving by your neighbor's houses and you realize your neighbors are doing it. Like your neighbors are literally putting up a share of poles and various types of other pagan paraphernalia. Um, and they don't maybe know that they're doing it. And, and I don't know that you should like go over and try to stop them, but, but realize that in a Christian nation, that doesn't happen. <laughs> if there is such a thing as a Christian nation. In a Christian family, if you learn about how this is in fact a pagan practice, you're going to stop doing it. And that's what, that's what then Asa does again. He, he removes these things not only from where he was, but as king, he has the power and the authority to get it out of the courtroom, out of the fields, right? And he does it. And what happens? Rest for 10 years, which in this context means no war. Now, can you imagine living in a world where having 10 years with no war is like, wow, thank God. I think we've got it again amazingly well. It's right here in Rockford. <laughs> a little secret, everybody. Why, why is Rockford wonderful? What's going wrong with the world that's going to make a lot of other places get worse? It happened to Rockford like 20 years ago. Now, aside from a nuclear bomb, we're really already kind of as bad as it's going to get. Minus uh, electricity can go away, food supply, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of just like normal civilizational decline, Rockford, we, we already know what everyone else is like. Oh, no. We're, we're like, was there a gun fired yet? Well, then you're okay. You're okay. It ain't the Wild West, right? So they had rest for 10 years with true peace. You need a good king for that. You need a good leader for that. If you let the king, mayor, president, doesn't matter, be surrounded with liars, the people will not have rest and things will fall apart. Now see also in this, please, how that rest in the Bible is not merely about sleeping well. I, I wish I could sleep well. I have apnea. I, I try to sleep well. I pretend I do. Uh, but you know, rest is really about the soul again being given release from the burden of the anxieties of the age by means of the promises of God simply believed. Remember the Sabbath, the day of rest, by keeping it holy. Come to rest at church by letting your anxiety go away into Jesus. Rest. Um, and then that kind of life, a simple life where the word of God is sort of what you know, and day by day there are problems that come and go, but again, it's, it's your soul's okay. It is well, it is well with my soul. That kind of rest, uh, everyone had it for 10 years. Jumping ahead, you, you have that rest right now. It is yours. It is yours. The power of the New Testament, the secret of contentment, is that this whole thing is just kind of a big game. It's a big illusion, a little bit. It's real. It's real. Uh, but it's all going to go away, and, and when it goes away, it's going to get better. But no one thinks that. They all think it's going to get worse, or maybe not, right? But the, you want to know how to face your death without fear? Believe that it'll be like going to sleep, and finally, like you always wanted to. And when you wake up, it'll be the kind of wake-up you kind of always wish you could have had. You won't need any coffee. Uh, that's death for the Christian. Now, again, the rest of the land is like a prototype of that. It's like a foretaste of that, right? We have the rest for 10 years uh, going on. Verse 27, Asadil was good. I said that already. He broke down the stuff. Uh, verse 6, he built fortified cities for Judah for the land at rest. He had no war, it says. Verse 7, let us build these cities, surround them with walls, towers, gates. The land is ours. We've sought the Lord our God. We've sought him, and he's given us peace. 
So I think this is normative for the Christian life that seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You can expect that though the world, though the world may be continually at war, your front yard doesn't have to be. Your fireside doesn't have to be. You don't have to let the news tell you what they think is important. You can just decide what you would like to think about tonight. And wouldn't you believe, I mean, I tell you, you turn it off for three days, you'll be amazed what you start to think about. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Uh, wow, I haven't looked at that part of my wall for too long. <laughs> you know, various things start showing up. Uh, but again, what does a man do? What does a king do? He builds. He improves. It doesn't go to rot. It goes to better, right? Uh, this is the value of a simple, quiet life in the word of God. It will enable you to build, and you shall be built up. These, these are promises, I say. Uh, going forward again, uh, uh, he mentions his army. You know, you get, this is the place where the historians like to quibble, especially. The Bible's numbers on army, the historians, they don't like them. Usually because it grants too much credit to the ancient people. It makes the ancient people sound really big and powerful. And like they had control systems that we can't imagine. We don't know how we would move food for an army of 300,000 people without the tools we have. We couldn't do it. Okay? So, of course, they couldn't do it either. Okay, welcome to modern arrogance. Here it is. 600,000 man army, shield, spear, bow, at a time when, you know, ancient Assyria and Babylon aren't really what they were. You know, the Greek phalanx line, that doesn't even exist yet. All right. uh, this is just guys with spears and shields. And I tell you, I put, all, let's, let's try this. You know, there's softball leagues for churches. Let's start the spear and shield league. Yeah? Uh, we'll show up, they'll show up. We get spears and shields, they don't. We see who wins. What do you say? Yeah? Uh, it's, it doesn't matter, you don't have to be trained. <laughs> you know, and so that, they had 600,000 of these guys. They felt pretty safe. All as a result, though, notice, Jesus gave it to them after Asa repented of the evils they were trying to worship, right? So I'm not saying worship Jesus like it's perfect. No, I am saying not worshiping Jesus makes bad things happen. <laughs> and repenting brings mercy. And mercy is always for the soul first, so that even if you're gonna die that day, you're ready. And then quite often he decides to save you for another day. He really does. Yeah. So Asa's power and glory. It talks in verses 9 through 15 about a big war that they had. We're going to skip that. Um, I want to get to chapter 15 where it says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And I'm just going to stop there for the fun of it. I almost once wrote a hymn called for all the unsung prophets. And it was going to start with a verse about a prophet who has no name, but you might remember he speaks to one of the kings of Israel and then gets eaten by a lion because of another prophet who lies to him. He has no name, but he's a true prophet of God and he's written up in the scripture. There's a lot of these guys, right? And uh, Azariah, the son of Oded, who's this guy? I don't know who's this guy. Nobody knows, but here he is. He's a prophet, that's who he is. He lived a whole life. Guy was 50, 60 years old. He grew up in the, in the word of God. He was called by the spirit somehow. He spoke out against those who hated him. He spoke out for those who were encouraged by him. I mean, life like life. Who is this guy? Azariah, the son of Oded. He went up to meet Asa and said to him, hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, Jesus is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. 
But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they turned to Jesus, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For in great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak. For your work shall be rewarded. Ah, for such a time as this. Don't you wish that was said about you right now today? And, oh, it is. It is. That's what it means. It's for you in Christ, to be sure. Yeah. It doesn't mean always glory all the time. It always works out. But it does mean that if the world is going crazy, repent and seek Jesus, and he will prepare a way for you. Every time, always, all the way, and it starts with contentment in the soul. That's the superpower of this whole thing. Right? I, I, we are trying to set up this retreat center for men across the way. I haven't published a lot about it here in the congregation. I don't want it to weigh on your minds. But it's there now. It's been there for, for almost two years. And um, a lot of what it's about is trying to help young men find a place to seek healing in their souls. To come to terms with the fact that they don't know what they're supposed to do in life because they see generations of fathers publicly who have not showed them the way to go. And they're concerned about their future. They can't just go to school and get a job and have it work out the way it did for you in your 50s and 60s. And I know, because I'm in my 40s, and it didn't work for me either. I consider myself very fortunate, and frankly, the ministry has been good to those who go into it, which is a danger to the church, I would say, on some level. You have men who practice in the ministry because it's got a good package for retirement in it. Not, not so good. But the men, again, the young men, are seeking a way. They are seeking understanding and leadership. They are seeking hope. And coming to believe that the Old Testament promises of God to the people who are fulfilled then in Jesus is now yours, is the very hope that every Christian man is looking for right now. That you can believe that while nations are rising against nations and while cities are destroying themselves, you may have the courage of a heart that is unafraid. And I know it's possible because, again, at this retreat center, there's some jiu-jitsu mats. And we invited some people from a local Brazilian jiu-jitsu place to come over. And one of them showed up. He's a marvelous young man. I won't tell you his name, but I do hope you get to meet him. A uh, marvelous young man, different culture, different background, different church history. Um, was very curious to talk about our church, uh, but, but you know, kind of has his own thing. But he said something. The conversation I had with him after we wrestled with each other, he's, he just looked me in the eye. And he's like, this guy's in his, like, 1920. He just goes... There is nothing this world can offer me. And then he went on. He did not boast. He was not boasting. He really meant that to the deepest of his heart. And I was, I was shamed and I repented at that moment. I'm like, I want to be like that. I want to live like that. Yeah. Which doesn't mean I don't like a nice stand or a good cup of coffee. The world is a good gift from God, but there's nothing it can offer me that isn't from him. And so all of it comes from him. And if I want it, the way to get it is not to try to get it. To try to keep it is not to try to keep it. It's to just ask. And then believe that whatever he gives is better. It's better. 
It's always better. So this promise here to Asa, let me encourage you to believe it's yours to take home today and believe it's about your life today. It's about your house today. It's about your neighborhood today. It's about your congregation today. It's about your city today insofar as we are Christians. And of course, there's a lot of non-Christians around, so we should talk to them about, do you pray to your gods? <laughs> or do you just ignore them and expect them to like you? Because if you're not going to be a Christian, to believe nature's on your side is stupid. Stupid. And to believe there aren't powers out there that will destroy you is stupid. It's like you're living inside a zombie matrix box, a, a machine, a battery machine, so you don't think about the risks that this life really pulls. So, I mean, I'm not trying to say encourage your pagan neighbors to believe their pagan gods are real. But you might, before you tell them to pray to Jesus, ask if they pray to their gods, and then later ask, did they answer? <laughs> are they real? I think we have the freedom to walk at liberty like this, St. Paul. And the power of these promises is what's going to keep waking you up every single day. It goes on. Asa heard these words, verse 8. Check our time. Uh, uh, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of Jesus that was in front of the vestibule of the house of Jesus. So he hadn't even done a bunch of stuff yet. And the prophet's like, well, if you do more, it'll get better. And so he's like, all right. And when it says he took the land up in Ephraim, he's just walking up into northern Israel where there is another king. He's walking into towns where it's just not very good to live there because the other king's not that good and he's helping them and now they're his cities. <laughs> it is kind of how it works. I had someone point out to me recently. He's like, you know, I got this job I'm working at and I found out that if I just do my job, I'm like suddenly in charge, even though I'm not in charge. And so, well, now that I know that, what should I, I told him, use it for good, you know? Like, like, use it to make it a better store. And then you will be in charge. Because competency does rise, it floats, right? And we do live in incompetent times, but when you seek Jesus, he will send you what you need. He will send you what you need. He's repairing the church, the sanctuary that's so beautiful, um, gathering from Ephraim, Manasseh, in great numbers. Verse 10 uh, 11, they sacrificed to Jesus on the day from the spoil they had brought, 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep. So this is from this war that they're coming back from. Entered into a covenant to seek Jesus, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But whoever would not seek Jesus, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. Like the whole country repents, and you're either going to fake it or you're going to die that day. I'm not advocating St. Paul that we, we put the sword to everyone around us here, but... but there is something about close communion here. It really is why we practice close communion. Like, like you're either with us or you're not. And if you're not, go. We're better off without you. It's not because we don't like you. Although we won't like you if you stay and cause all these troubles by attacking Jesus. Right? His word. And so, again, uh, segregating from the darkness, they swore an oath to Jesus with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. Big festival. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with all their whole desire. And he was found by them, and Jesus gave them rest all around. So it's, it's a full generation. No one's being forced to swear, you know? Or if they are, again, they're kind of doing it more out of, like, peer pressure than shaming. They're kind of like, well, everyone else is doing it. I'll do it too. And, and they don't believe. That happens. It happens. But there are generations that believe in whole, and there are generations that fall away in whole. And if you want the key to our times... We're falling away in whole. And there will be a remnant. There's always a remnant. And the remnant will repent. And then God will build their small space into the larger influencing space of the good again. 
Because once they burn down everything that they built, they're going to need someone to help them build it again. This is not just St. Paul. This is the way that Christianity operates underneath the kingdoms of this age. Are you at this time, Jesus, going to make a kingdom? The apostle said, no, no. I'm going to send you out with a dragnet to go through all the other kingdoms, all the nations, all the tongues, and this net's going to pull the good fish out. So go and stop worrying about, you know, the election cycle. (laughs) Feel free to vote. Feel free to pay attention to your leaders. Feel free to pray for your leaders. Don't worry about your leaders. Yeah? So uh, going to verse 16, you can see the bit about his his, uh, grandmother. Um, it says his mother here, but I want to say that in, in, uh, in Kings, it's his grandma. So someone correct me on that if you got the details. Uh, even Ma'aka, his mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it in the brook Kidron. Like, he didn't just move it. He didn't sell it for more money, right? He sacrificed it. He sacrificed it, right? That's pretty cool. Uh, but the high places ah, were not taken out of Israel. There were still people who thought it was a good idea to worship God according to their own mind. They thought, I like what the word of God says, but I think this, I want to add this to it. And so they set up their little shrine and they were all different and they were all the same, right? You can find them in backyards everywhere, the high places. They're very easy to find. They're little shrines in everybody's yard. And if they're Catholics, there'll be shrines to Mary or Francis, right? Uh, And if they're not Catholics, there'll be shrines to gnomes, butterflies, other forms of nature, nature usually, right? Um, uh, You do also have uh, some other more dark shrines that show up. I I mentioned this in the first service, so I should mention it again. You know, not all Halloween decorations are created equal. A pumpkin is not a a bleeding, gory Grim Reaper. (laughs) They're they're different things. And uh, well, a witch, no matter who she is, is not good news for any man. Uh, so these, these interesting things that we set up in our yards, if you start thinking of them as shrines, you might look at them differently. And why would I say they're shrines? Well, a Christian can put up anything in their yard. They may be ignorant and stupid to do it, but it's not really what they're worshiping because Christians can't worship false gods, actually. We look like it, we feel it, we experience it, but in God's judgment, it's like already blotted out. But non-Christians always worship false gods. It's all they can do. So when they start setting them up in their yard and they're made of death, know where you live, where Satan has his throne, right? Uh, So uh, removing these things, this is what he did as best he could. He couldn't get it all the way out. Verse 18, he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver, gold, and vessels. So the temple is just being filled up with money. They got enough money that they can just store it as gold. Like they don't, they don't, it's not making money for them. This is, there's no interest rates or anything. This is just, we got too much, so we'll make it into pots and store them. Right? Uh, so it's very, very fruitful as a time. There was no more war till the 35th year of Asa. 36th year, Baasha, king of Israel in the north, comes up against him and builds Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Uh, and Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of Jesus and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lives in Damascus, saying, there's a covenant between me and you. 
And there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Aijon, Dan, Abumaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasa had been building. And with them, he built up Giba and Mizpah. You see his insight here. It's not all good. Sending money to Ben-Hadad is a mark that will go bad eventually. But Solomon does this. He forms alliances to build the temple. And it's good because as he does it, he's actually spreading the faith. We kind of have to believe that, okay? But Asa, is there faith here? No, there's a, there's a past relationship. And, and then there's this attack kind of by the northern king, Baasha. You know, if you have, you're playing the game risk, right? And someone starts putting all their troops on the territory right beside your territory. Like you don't just not know what's happening, right? So that's what's going on for Asa. And then he takes this little ploy. He's like, well, attack him from the other side. He'll stop building down here. It works. But notice, as a guy who's had prophets working for him and who has God on his side, he doesn't do something that other kings will do, right? He doesn't seek the prophet. He doesn't ask uh, what he should do. God blesses him anyway, but the end of Asa's life is like a continual letting go of the power to ask because of the power of what he has. He starts using the world's politics, which he has, as if it's the only solution. And you see this especially with his feet, right? So two years before he dies, he gets a foot disease, and he goes straight to the doctors. We're all, right? Like we do it too, right? And the problem isn't that he went to the doctor. They had doctors. It's okay to have doctors. The problem is he went straight to the doctors. And God was looking for him to just say, cure it, because he was going to, effectively. But instead, he didn't, because he didn't even ask. He'd kind of just forgotten. Keep the word, right? Keeping the word of God. What does it mean? Not forgetting. Does this mean Asa fell away? No, no. It just means that as he walked in his faith, in the end of his life, the worldly cares stripped away the power to be confident and unafraid. And he spent his life worried about his feet the last two years. Instead of just knowing that God had a good plan for why he couldn't walk. Well, it's going to achieve something somewhere, somehow. Huh? So again, he takes more of the tactical answer to Ben-Hadad and sets this thing up, but it does go well. God blesses them. And they, so they have this whole city that's been built up with stone. And he's like, I got a query. I don't even have to query. And they go and they build two whole cities out of this stuff. It's quite a, quite a thing. This guy was a good king. Huh? Verse 7, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on Jesus your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. And so he would have had more conquering if he'd just come to God. Uh, were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army that because you relied on Jesus, he gave them into your hand? That's the part we skipped. For the eyes of Jesus run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Yeah, blessed are the undefiled in the way. That's you. That's you. Believe it. You have done foolishly in this. That's us too. <laughs> uh, for from now on, you will have wars. Right? So now Asa's reign is going to be plagued with wars at the end. And now uh, what's Asa do? This is not David. This is not David. This is where Asa's bad. Right? Here's bad Asa. Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison. Mm. Yeah, when you're mad at the Bible, you're mad at the pastor because he said what the Bible said. Mm. That's not going to slow down 
<laughs> that path. <laughs> it's going to go worse. Uh, he was in a rage because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. So then his kindness goes away. He hurts his people as well. And then we've heard this part. They're all written in the books. He didn't seek the physicians. Uh, uh, verse 12. He's, but then, verse 13. He slept with his fathers. Dying in the 41st year of his reign. Not many kings get past 40 years of reign in Judah either. That's a sign. That's a sign we're supposed to look at this guy as an example. We're supposed to follow this guy a little bit. There's wisdom in this man. If he were your pastor, he'd be better than I am. I mean it, okay? He, he was. In his prime, this guy was glorious. And so even though in his old age, you know how old men can get a little old manish, <laughs> uh, he wasn't quite the king he had been. When he dies after 41 years of mostly peace and then won wars, you can imagine that it, it made a big impact on them as a people. As the reign of the king goes, so went the country, right? So verse 13, he slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year. They buried him in the tomb he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. Um, first, the fire in his honor was not cremation. The Hebrews did not cremate. Christians did not cremate until the 20th century, ever. Only now do we cremate. Um, cremation is not a sin in the sense of if you do it, you'll lose your faith. You're already dead. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is, like, if we talk about sin as mistakes, um, well, it's just like kind of saying, like the pagans do, we're done with this thing, this body. So the pagans burn the body because they're done with it. Christians started burying the body because we're not done with it. And you might be like, well, the Egyptians did that. Yeah, after Joseph was there, but they did. <laughs> so, so like the resurrection of the body and burying the body are tied to not burning the body. Doesn't mean you can't be cremated. I've told my family, if it's food or a coffin, buy the food. You know, it's, I'll, I'll come back. God can put the cremation back together. But... Don't think that's what's here. This fire is not a cremation. This fire is like, I don't know, Christmas lights? I mean, they don't have them, right? They don't have Christmas lights. They don't got fireworks. They made a fire. They made a big fire. I don't know, guys, how big a fire would you make? If, you had, if you're going to make the biggest fire you can make in 40 years, controlled. <laughs> how, I, I imagine it's as big as this building. Can you see that? Like at the pinnacle in the courts of the temple or something? It was a huge fire for this guy. All because they didn't believe he was dead. Just like you, they believed he was resting. They even talked that way. He rested with his fathers. And he prepared the tomb before he died, knowing he was going there. Why did the kings prepare their own tomb? They know where they're going. They know where they're going. They're not afraid of it. He prepared to sleep there. He prepared a place for his family there. And then get this too, with all this celebration going on, guess what? There's, there's someone standing by that fire with crowds of people around weeping over this good king who restored the land of faith. And they have hope in the future now because they know Jesus is their God. And that young man standing there looking at his dead father's body in that giant fire is named Jehoshaphat. So the other thing Asa did that very few other kings did is he raised a good son. Jehoshaphat's better than Asa. He really is. Powerful man. Beautiful story. You can go read that one this afternoon if you would like. It's right there in the next chapter. Yeah. For this morning, over time here, all saints, all hallows, remembering the cleanness of God that has been poured out through his word and promises from the beginning since our fall. 
We look at the life of Asa, a saint like us, who we will see again. Right? And we remember that what goes into our eyes changes who we are. So we want to fill it with the word of God and keep that word because it will direct our path. It will make our way straight. We will be undefiled even while we're surrounded by wickedness. Yeah? And then from there, we go now to remember those who commune permanently uh, in this last year. Uh, family members, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, sons. Uh, we remember that they are not dead. They too are sleeping. Uh, let us then not be asleep as the others in this world, but awake to this truth. Walk with confidence, for you too are all saints. In the name of